Welcome back, everyone, to the Hit Factor podcast. Tonight, we have Jared and myself, Jason, uh, but we're joined by a special guest. Tonight, we have Mason Lane joining us. So if you don't know who Mason is, I'd probably say you don't follow the, 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 the sport too much, but Mason's a really good shooter. He's probably most is famous or infamous for last year shooting nationals one-handed and probably hurting some feelings. So we're, we'll definitely get into that. We got some questions for that. Um, but we're probably going to just start off with Mason giving us his the, the typical podcast bio rundown, who he is, what he does, and we'll go in from there and talk about his matches this year. And then we've got some pretty good listener questions we'll hit up. So uh, Mason, let's just go ahead and start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys, first of all. Yeah. Uh, I kind of started doing the shooting thing. I was in scouting when I was relatively young. I finished that uh, with a lot of ambition pretty early, and I needed something else to pour energy into. So I got into shooting and competing a little bit in Steel Challenge and stuff around age 12 or 13, maybe, and then took it a lot more seriously than all my peers did. Uh, was lucky, knew the right people, got the attention of some sponsors, and started doing the USPSA thing by around my freshman year in high school. So I've been doing it for, give or take, seven or eight years now. And uh, it's it's gone relatively well. I've done some stuff, starting to do the teaching thing now that it's going a lot better. But uh, yeah, that's more or less the story. So you've shot how many area matches this year? Uh, three. I did uh, in order. I did eight, then six, then just seven this last weekend. Gotcha. And have you shot any other any other matches this year? Yeah, I shot a sectional match prior to uh, to area uh, eight down okay. where area eight is usually held. So not a ton of major matches for me this year. Is that due to COVID or is that due to just your schedule? No, entirely. I was planning on doing uh, the uh, the Euro Open, which I've done a few years now. I was going to do the Pan American Extreme, which is run by the same company, which is going to be held in Florida, both of which got canceled. And then also the World Shoot, which was supposed to be in Thailand, which was postponed a full year. So I had more on the calendar, but uh, the, the COVID jacked up a lot of stuff. So you won Area 6, though, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And you're kind of, you and I have talked um, through messaging. You're, I mean, we are following you guys. I mean, when any of the matches come out, we follow just and check to see who wins what. So um, you're kind of battling. You're kind of, you and Nils have traded off a few of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty fair. It's probably uh, in the standings for production for this year for the Nationals. It's, it's in no particular order and not to omit anyone because anyone on a super squad can have an exceptional day at any time. But it's, you know, in no particular order, me, Nils, uh, Jake Hetherington, and Sal Luna all kind of round out like the approximate top four because there's mm-hmm. obviously the rumblings that are the reigning champion won't be showing up, Mr. Steger. So, you know, it's that that sort of second generation is is going to take a shot at the title. So I, me and Nils have traded off a couple. I was real close to him at Area 8. I, uh, I was tracking scores and ended up pushing for a few stages in a row and got within a handful of points of him at that match. Uh, sort of a similar situation at Area 6 where we shot on opposite ends than we had the, the week prior. And we I, I won again by realistically what was a handful of points. And then just this last weekend, we shot another match against each other where we shot on opposite ends of the weekend. And there was a little more separation, but that was kind of a different story if, if we want to get into that, too. I, I noticed it right now the Super Squad is not filled out. I mean, uh, are you going to be on the Super Squad? You know, my as, as far as I know right now, I, I'm planning on not being on it. Uh, okay. Like you mentioned earlier with the one-handed uh, national stunt that I did there, uh, 
they, they they're pretty sure they're basing the national the uh, the super squad placement based on entirely the previous year's nationals. And needless to say, I did some good stuff sh- shooting with one hand, but not good enough to make the top ten. Needless to say, right. so I'm I'm intending to shoot with uh, Bryson Blaine Doopy. But I'm sure you you guys knows knows of those kids. They're uh, from Alabama or something like that down there. They're really, really good students of the sport, really good shooters. So I'm I'm thinking I'm going to get just as much out of shooting with them as I would on a super squad. And I'll be like one or two squads behind those guys. But my understanding is, no, I will not be on that squad. Gotcha. Yeah, we know those those two guys are good kids. Um, So so last year uh, you broke your arm doing something with a horse. You were Uh, a pig. Yeah. So I I, I was being impatient and jumped over a, a fence on the farm. Because the uh, the pig was in front of the fence and she's in heat and and huge, uh, so yeah, basically I, I I hopped over the fence and busted my wrist all up like two and a half weeks before the high cap nationals. I think that might be a little bit premature. It might have been a little bit longer than that, but anyway, uh, a short enough period of time that I was casted up for the carry optics nationals and then splinted up for the production nationals. So really had no use of my left hand for anything other than cobbing together a reload and shot both both matches with one hand. So it, it, when that first happened, I thought you were you were trying to rig up something where you could load off your belt. You could reload off your belt, but you were able to use both hands. Yeah, I, I didn't think I was going to be able to use that hand at all because I wasn't sure like how severe the casting situation was because I ended up getting it operated on in the middle of that whole thing, too. Oh, wow. uh, so I had Miles Kleiser, who's the son of Bruce Gray, who is the owner of Gray Guns, put together some basically some inverted pouches. That kind of had like these four like bird claw looking things that went on every side of the actual base pad. So you could clip in the mag basically right. So put base bullets up. So it's vertical, like parallel to my body. So I could crank the gun down downward onto it and reload off my belt and seat a mag with one hand, which was pretty badass, but really not very good for reloading unless I was pretty much standing. Yeah. Uh, so I ended up once I had the limited use of one hand, I ended up going with that. Yeah. Where'd you finish? And carry ops, I don't even know what placement okay, I was, but yeah. percentage wise in carry ops, I think I was I was right around seventy percent. And then production was ten percent higher than that. I think I was around like eighty one or eighty two percent. Wow. It's pretty impressive. Which ain't bad. I mean not for that's, nothing. That ain't bad for one hand. That's not bad at all. I mean, you think, oh, it's not that hard. I mean, I don't know if people think that. I it's easy to think maybe it's not that hard, but it's a lot it's it's hard. Especially to shoot because you think, well, you know, you shoot an array one-handed uh, in a standards or classifier, but I can only imagine halfway through the match where you where you kind of like, okay, this is kind of this is a lot more difficult than I think thought it was going to be shooting this entire match every shot one-handed. Yeah, so parts of it I wasn't expecting. I had the the opportunity to test out some of that gear, those different gear systems I was talking about in some local matches preceding the match. Uh, so I kind of went and got dusted a couple times with some locals and figured out some of the stuff that I knew wasn't going to work. Uh, and it was more or less what I expected. The hardest part of it was the really difficult, like distance shots with partials or stuff that you were supposed to be taking on the move, like per the, the right. dictation of the squad. And, you know, on, on the relatively easy stuff, you don't lose almost anything once you kind of get dialed in with like getting the gun to track vertically and getting some good rhythm down. But the harder shots, you get smoked. And that's part of why I did so much better in production than the, the other matches because of the fact the shot difficulty was quite a bit lower. Gotcha. So you mentioned uh, you're starting to do you do training, you provide training. Yep, then- absolutely. So I have my own company, Lane Shooting and Training LLC, through which I do all kinds of shooting. I take everyone on from beginners to experts. I do uh, some private training around my area here just with some like people that are pretty much on a uh, subscription based model. 
where they hit me up. I do hourly rates. And I'm also, of course, getting into doing more classes, teaching around the country or wherever I'll be had teaching uh, open enrollment classes up to 10 or 12 people two days at a time. So very similar to all the other brand name instructor guys doing more or less the same business model, just kind of teaching my spin on the whole shooting thing. So it's going better, starting to expand more, getting more and more people to take me on as a as a a, a vendor, if you will. So, you know, the, the, the of course, the actual business goal is to get connected to more and more people that are interested in hosting courses and have the uh, the uh, logistical wherewithal to make that happen with their club. So. Yeah. That's sort of the challenge. I'll say that I'm trying to get uh, Mason out next year um, in my area. So uh, I'm in Arkansas. I'm trying to work with the range right now. We'll see if that happens, but um, definitely trying to get something set up. So if anyone out here listening is interested in the Arkansas area, hit me up later. Uh, it'll be sometime next year. I don't even don't even know yet. I'm just still trying to get the range to get on board. So yeah, I, I greatly I greatly appreciate that. Uh, you know, anyone that wants to get, get a hold of me for the training thing, I have a website, which is uh, laneshootingandtraining.com, which isn't really fully functional yet. You can go to that site. It has a bunch of stuff on it. It looks professional, but it doesn't have any functions that actually do anything that make my life easier yet. So if you want to actually get into contact with this setup training and you're anywhere in the country, you can email me at masonlane.lsat at gmail.com. Yeah. So what do you think is going to go down this year? We got we, That was actually one of our listener questions. Um, you, you know, you were saying you, Sal, Nils and, um, Hetherington, it looks like it's going to be, uh, going to be very interesting. You guys are all up there, uh, at, at all the matches, everybody looks like they're in the 90, 97% of each other. Yep. Um, so it doesn't seem like there's a lot of separation. That's going to be very interesting, uh, to, to see. I've never shot at that range, but I mean, if you shot out there at, um, Universal. Yeah, I've, I've shot Universal a bunch of times. And uh, Shannon is pretty good about setting up relatively well-rounded matches. His, they definitely have a slightly more technical flavor than maybe you would be used to at your average uh, area area match or USPSA match. But uh, overall, I'm I'm sure it'll be well balanced. It'll be an interesting test for sure. Uh, I, I really, like I said before, I think any of those four guys that you name by name are easy first place contenders. And I'm sure I'm leaving out a bunch more. Like I said, anyone that's on a super squad can hook up and either blow state blow curves on stages or run away with a match. And I was actually looking at it earlier before this, um, JJ's on it and Shane's on it. I'm forgetting someone too. I know. And so don't definitely don't mean to. Yeah. There's going to be some, some great shooters on this at this match. I actually didn't realize JJ was shooting production, so he's I, obviously probably one of the favorites as well. Yeah, I just I just remembered that as we were talking, so uh, I'm going to pull it up and look. I would say uh, Shane Shane could be a dark horse, too. He hasn't shot production in a while, but he's uh, been doing very well and limited this year. Yep. The thing about Shane is he he's performs well when there's blood in the water. He doesn't always bring the heat when he's not challenged, and you see he excels when he has people that are all around him that are putting up good stages. You see at nationals, he's consistently performs extremely well at nationals, and then you know sometimes the area matches it bounces back and forth. So I just expect he will very much be a contender regardless of what division he's shooting. He could win a revolver if he had enough competition. Yeah, I th- interesting. I think I think 2016 production nationals was the last production nationals he saw that he shot, and he was second or third that year uh the year goot one so he's he he's definitely going to be in the mix oh yeah yeah i'm looking at now there's there's it's going to be a a stack squad i mean there's really good shooters on it 
So, and like you said, all the super super squad level guys, it could be their day. So, absolutely. Are you gonna stick around and shoot the limited match as well, or? Yep. Yeah. So uh, I'm working with Grey Guns a lot more closely this year, and they're looking to test some of their new stuff that's going to be coming out in a year, maybe maybe two here. So they're going to be building me out a 40 cal top end for a 320. That should be pretty sweet. And I'm going to be shooting that in the limited match, which will be interesting. That's cool. All right. So um, you ready to take some listener questions, Mason? Yeah, let's do it. So, yeah, we put out some uh, feelers, some questions on social media. Got got several good questions. I'm just going to start reading them. Um, So the first one is, what did you do to go from a good shooter to top contender over the last few years? Uh... people think that it's kind of a stratified thing where they start to assign some kind of a, you know, an accolade between good and great or whatever, but it is more or less a constant continuum of work. I think most people have a breakthrough where they're, they kind of get their head right and they start actually performing well in matches. For me, that was in the beginning of 2017, just by shooting much more controlled than I thought I actually needed to. And I refined it over the last couple of years to the point where I shoot a lot closer to my actual ability in matches. But that's obviously a very, very complex question. Right. Uh, and it kind of depend, depends on where you're at in your development, what that means to you. I think the interesting part you mentioned there is shooting more controlled than you thought you needed to. Can you, yeah. can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I didn't mean to bury the lead there. Uh, w- when I was around 2015 and 2016 Nationals, of course, those two nationals were very different in terms of their actual competitor composition. 2015 was obviously a, a well-attended match, and 2016 was a, a significantly attended match with a full president, quote, president squad and a full super squad, which were you know mirrored in skill level. Uh, and I was had almost the same percentage of both those two matches, which was not very impressive. And in 2017, I turned around and was like, went from like 85 percent to like 95 percent, or thereabouts and at like 20 something place versus third place. So there was a huge like light switch flick there where nothing really changed fundamentally in my training, but a lot changed about the way I approach matches. And the main thing was thinking about stages and match your match composition in terms of the probability of effing a stage up. Right. Whereas in 2015 and 16 nationals, maybe I'm shooting at a pace where like every three or four stages, I'm going to cock up a stage in 2017, it was more like, I am going to shoot this entire match without penalties, even if it feels like I'm going glacially. And that's probably what happened, right? You compare my time to the two guys that smashed me. They hammered me on time, but I shot really, really good, clean, consistent points. And i would spent a slow process of kind of refining that to the point where, like I said, I'm closer to performing on my actual ability compared to training in matches. Uh but for a lot of people, that's the thing, right? It kind of depends on where you're either shooting. If you're sort of the hoser, kind of a, a hoser compared to a turtle, you're going to tra- take your training in two very different directions to teach yourself to do the proper things, right? Yeah, definitely. All right, next one. What does your normal live fire and dry fire practice session look like? Uh, dry fire is pretty boring. I don't have a great space where I can do a lot of moving around. But it was, so when I was coming up, I did I had a full cellar in my parents' basement and I would set up full size stages that were like simulated 20 rounds or so. And I would set up every cockamamie footwork technique that you could ever hope to use in a match. And I would practice those like in real space and time. Uh, nowadays I don't do that. I pretty much just do fundamentals on transitions, reloads and draws with every crazy combination of that I can come up with. 
and a little bit of movement stuff. Uh, live fire, uh, I'm doing that probably. It depends. With my training in general, I pretty much only do it when I feel like it, and so that can vary. That my motivation fluctuates based on how many matches I have coming up and what those look like. So probably dry dry firing uh, on a good week, like four or five days a week. Live firing three days a week, usually not at the same day. And uh, live fire will usually be relatively robust drills, not so hyper focused like a lot of people like to get into with like less than five round drills. But I'll get into very small stages and usually small focus skills where I'm combining two to three things at a time. But I mean, I do a little bit of everything. You know, it's I could spend an hour talking about either one of those two factors. I think when everyone starts out, they kind of they're asking questions, and some of these questions, you know, they're they're like this. They're what are you doing, and 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 um, exactly, and and how's that? How, can I do that? Will that help me? And I think a lot of it is you have to you have to just start practicing and figure out what works for you and what doesn't work for you, and and you'll develop your own your own style of practice or your own method of practice. And I think that's just the, the, the biggest thing to this. Yeah, 100%, right? Like the easiest way to tell, to determine what you should practice is to go to a match that's a good test of skills and evaluate based on frequency what mistakes you're making that can contribute to your progress, right? Not just looking at, oh, I, I like in the case of my last match, right? Like the most egregious errors were, oh, hey, I dropped a reload here. Or I mic'd on a hardcover target over here. If that happens once a match, it doesn't matter that that's what tanked your whole match. If if I'm, you know, having really slow transitional exits, still speaking in the case of my last my last match, right? That's what needs to be addressed because that's happening every single time the gun moves around. So you have to you have to be careful about what data you pay attention to when you're deciding what to train for, uh, in general, and use that to shape your training at large. Uh, and in general, in, in live fire, I break everything into two kind of main general camps, which is both testing and, and, and practicing. So testing skills are, I'm sure you've heard of uh, people discuss like the variable, quote, variable style training, where you, uh, you'll set up something and you shoot it like just one or two times and then you'll kind of change it up. Or, you know, that's the, the general principle. Mm-hmm. Uh, core idea being you're testing your skills in that given area, right? By doing that, by doing something once and changing it up, you're probably not really going to get much better at the skills contained inside that test, but you're going to learn a lot about your actual cold run. Conversely, right, you're training, you're kind of just working at stuff as many times as you can until you basically have a breakthrough or learn something or gain some kind of skill through muscle memory or, or osmosis or learn something intellectually. Uh, those are the two really general, much like high level areas that I break things down into. And I have all kinds of subgroups within that, but you know, thinking really carefully about how you structure your live fire is good. I'm not usually, mm-hmm. I've never been the kind of guy where I structure stuff like with actual spreadsheets or like a notebook or anything like that. I just kind of have general principles and stuff that I know I need to work on. And when things obviously pop out, then I work on them. I'm also very lucky that I have my, my girlfriend, Kay Bennett. She, uh, she keeps me accountable because she's, I brought her in into shooting two or three years ago and She's obviously at a very different skill level than I am, very different experience level than I am. So I'm forced to teach her uh, why why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. So she keeps me very accountable and vice versa, where she's able to she's becoming a relatively good shooter and a better instructor where she's able to say, hey, you're doing something over here that seems a little bit bullshitty. Like you might want to pay attention to that or, hey, do we really need to be practicing 20 yard, uh, you know, open target freaking 
bill drills anymore because I love practicing distance stuff and things like that. Anyway, having a, a uh, something to provide context, context to what it is you're doing and keeping yourself accountable is really important. An interesting part you mentioned there at the beginning is your your practice kind of varies based on what you have coming up for matches. Uh, obviously, this podcast will be dropping next week, so everybody will be setting you know a week and a half, two weeks out from nationals when they listen to it. So, what what would your what would your practice week look like typically leading up to an area or national match? So the, the system I've kind of arrived at and. It's always sort of a revolving door of deciding what what system works best for me based on what results I get. But this last weekend at Area 7, I got beat by uh, a not insignificant amount. I shot way too conservatively because I was shooting early in the match, and I just wanted the previous matches, even the ones that I had won, I put up a lot of Charlie's uh, mics, etc. So I wanted to shoot very cleanly and just kind of make my way through the match as well as I can. Uh, I clearly got way too deep into my own head, tried to shoot way too safe. So usually the best way for me to fix some kind of an execution based problem like that in a match is to just take time away and allow myself to focus, to get recentered on subconscious skills and not get wrapped around the axles of specific stuff that I'm thinking about in training. Uh, so with three weeks between that match and nationals, my strategy is, and this is pretty much the through line for how I structure my training two weeks ahead of the match, whatever it is, I'm going to be doing really hard, aggressive training. And then the week prior, uh, I'm doing pretty much uh, more so testing-based kind of skills, right? Just like with the system I was describing earlier. So I'm not doing a bunch of really high-volume training. I'm not really all that concerned about getting better at any one thing. More so stringing a lot more skills together, usually in the context of drills that are... uh, The the difficulty is calibrated so that even if I do it at match pace, I'm probably still going to screw it up. But trying to just put things together at match speed and allow myself to, to practice putting skills together and not as much trying to train anyone. Uh, right now, before Nationals, because the match, the I just screwed this match, this past weekend's matchup relatively badly. I'm taking this week not off, but I'm pretty much doing stuff as I feel like it. And these next two weeks, I'll do it a pretty hard train-up cycle so that I'm feeling good and well-adjusted to the gun going into the match. Cool. So since you said you kind of, I guess you were you're saying you weren't, from what I'm gathering, you're not you weren't pleased with your match performance the last match. Not an so how, yeah, so how that's tip. I mean, we all have to deal with that. How do you deal with that? What do you do to get your mind back on uh, in the game on on track? You know, you just had a performance that you're not pleased with, and do you? I mean, do you have to pep yourself up? Do you beat yourself up? I mean, you know, one of them deals. I mean, everybody's got to deal with that. So the easy thing to do is to say, hey, I just F this match all up eight weeks to Sunday. Uh, I have three weeks before nationals. I'm going to do an hour and a half of dry fire and five days a week live fire every single day between now and nationals. I have that would have been my, my methodology two years ago. I have come to realize that you can only get so strong by doing pushups. And at some point you are not helping yourself. You're just making yourself tired. Uh so it, it, you have to have the best thing to do is once you have a, a crappy performance, you have to really take a step back and come up with a intellectually sound reason why your match went the way it did. Uh, usually, and this is another thing where I kind of break down two really large categories with a lot of my students. Anytime something goes wrong, and this could be as simple as a small stage element, a stage performance at large or a whole match, you have mechanical things that are screwing up. I'm missing my reloads. I'm jerking shots and shot delivery this X way, whatever the case is. 
and you have, you know, well, maybe what I'll kind of call for the purposes of the discussion, software issues, where either your, your attention is divided to a point where you cannot execute skills adequately or some other part of your mental system is not working properly. Usually the fact is you have skills that are, that are not proper. In my case, I have skills that are not properly trained up. So in the context of a bunch of those stacked on end, you lose ability, right? You, you only have, can pay attention to so much shit at, at a time. So when you start to really stack up all those different things, you run out of, you run out of mental RAM very rapidly. You can only pay attention to like one and a half things at a time, right? So one of those two things has gone wrong, basically. So the next question I would ask is, what do you study to get better at your level? Uh, is it other, other top shooters, other sports, something else completely? Is there anything you do and what is it? Really, really good question. Uh, the obvious thing would be uh, other people that are performing well at a high level, and that is largely my answer. Uh, I spend a lot of time on Practical Shooting Training Group just cruising around reading all the, the topics that are on there. I do a little bit of studying other sports, uh, not as much to take away actual mechanical things, but I, I do look a lot at some of the, uh, the studies of psychology that can help my, my game in that way. I studied psychology in my uh, college stint there that I just finished up this last, whenever it was in the spring. And uh, I've learned a lot from that. I learned a lot about mindfulness from studying some of like the, really for the lack of a better word, some of like the, the Zen guys and the people that are all into the communication, communicating mindfully and that kind of thing. Uh, but in general, I mean, I learned a lot from, from, from finding information about shooting as, in as many different places as I can. Uh, just looking at videos of other top performers works a lot. I feel like in America, especially, there's not a lot of soliciting input from other high performers from around the world. Uh, so even if Instagram is the only place you can find that information, in my case, I find a lot from from just doing that. I learned a lot from just watching guys' match performances or whatever it is they're doing just from seeing what they post. Like guys like Eric, I can't tell you how many people in my area uh, I mentioned, oh, yeah, this is one of the things I see Eric doing. And they say, Eric, who? And I'm like, come on, man. Come on. <laughs> uh, so, you know, there's a lot of guys that, that I followed on as many social media platforms as I can just to kind of monitor the stuff that they put out. And just something as simple as seeing it, like the way somebody does something with their gun, right? Some A way that they move around a stage, like a specific technique they use for engaging an array, all that kind of stuff informs the, you know, the way you're thinking about shooting. And even if you assess what they're doing and your assessment of it and how you should apply it to your shooting is wrong, having that thought experiment is going to teach you more than not finding that information. Yeah. Did you, okay, so when you were coming up and you were getting started out, did you do the typical chase the guy that he at your, your local club and then move on? Yeah. Yeah. So when, when I started, I actually started an IDPA and I, I still shoot IDPA, but I shot it a lot more when I got started and I was lucky to fall in with a group that was more serious than most of the other people, uh, people in our area about trying to perform well at matches and stuff. And I, you know, just like everyone else, I put a target on the guy on the back of the guy that seemed to be taking it seriously and was just ahead of me. And I did that for two or three years, uh, basically until I was the best guy in my area. And then I had to go start soliciting people in other areas and then that, you know, that, that game of cat and mouse becomes a little bit more elusive. You have to kind of pick one. It takes longer to even find a person that you decide you want to chase. Uh, of course, now, you know, that game still continues to go. Not in the case of specific rivals rivalries like it is maybe when you're coming up. But, you know, there's always like matches that you know you want to win 
or titles that you know you want to defend and stuff like that. I think for a lot of people, that's it can be a motivating way to get just to get your belt on, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody always jokes in my area, like the hardest part of dry firing is just getting your ass off the couch and getting your belt on. And after that, you remember it's fun. Uh, so it can be a helpful motivation for stuff like that, especially if you happen to have a relationship where there's like a sharing of information there with that person. But uh, yeah, I think that's a pretty normal thing to do overall. Yeah. So the next question, uh, what was your first level two win and how did that boost your confidence uh, going to other matches? Was it the typical or was it, I don't know if this is typical, but was it I've won one, now I can win two and then you built on that or was it your first area match win that did that? I The first level two, I have to struggle to even remember what it was. So I guess it definitely wasn't that. The first probably watershed moment in, uh, in realizing that I could compete at a high level uh, was probably 2017 Optics Nationals, which, which was in March of that year. And that was the same year that I was describing earlier. I, I went and, and placed third in, in production uh, in the fall of that year. Those two matches were, were kind of the watershed moment where I realized, hey, if I just keep my nose clean at this match and I just play it smart, I'm going to have an outcome that I like. I may not win the match. In fact, if all these guys that have been doing it longer than me show up and they shoot well, I'm probably not going to win the match. But if I just show up and I shoot smart and I just kind of follow my sights along like I'm supposed to, things are going to go okay. Uh, so those two matches, probably the whole 2017 season at large for me was probably that kind of a thing. So, you know, something interesting you mentioned there was uh, Optics Nationals was early that year. So you would have, I'm, I'm assuming that you devoted quite a bit of time to shooting uh, carry optics and learning to shoot the dot. Do you think that had a large impact in your iron sight abilities as well. Yep. So going into 2017, I, I just really, no, I decided to shoot carry optics based on the, on the proximity of the optics match. So I had been a, a solid production shooter all the way through there. I mean, I mean, a dedicated production shooter, not to speak to my own ability in that way, but exclusively a production shooter up to that point. And I decided because of the fact I had the whole winter, I would just train through the whole winter with carry optics and shoot that match. Uh, so I was able to shoot indoors. I shot, you know, a couple times a week all through that winter, shot nothing but CO, got really good at shooting very precisely with a dot. And that translated a lot. I learned a lot about distance shooting that year because of the fact the the world shoot was later on in the year. I was expecting the shot difficulty to be through the ceiling. So I was practicing like 35 yard partials, hard entries on very distant targets, et cetera. Uh, so overall, yeah, learning the dot had a profound impact on my ability to shoot distance. I don't necessarily know that a lot of the the, the benefits of shooting a dot that we know now are commonplace uh, helped me all that much. I didn't necessarily take a lot away from the target focus aspect of that. In fact, uh, my pursuit of learning to shoot very precisely led me to doing a lot more sight focus shooting than maybe I had been doing previously when I switched back to a production gun. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I learned a lot about it. You learn a lot from shooting a high cap gun too, just by virtue of the fact you're just not spending as much time looking down at your gun. You're focused more on your actual movement, your entries, your actual stage plan at large, et cetera. So along those lines, that last part, do you think that that's a good place for the newer shooters coming up to start is in a high cap? That seems to be pretty yeah, common is, uh, you know, get in the high cap and then uh, learn, learn, learn the game and then go to the low cap. Yeah, obviously the oldest school uh, thought is you should learn to master the hardest gun you can and kind of work from there. Uh, when I started my girlfriend in the sports, I didn't obviously know that she was going to take to it like she did. So I started her in PCC. 
I figured that is the easiest way to get in and just kind of like get hitting things and get involved. Uh, after about two and a half weeks of that, because she has a mind like me, she says, this PCC thing is like, it's kind of like, I like it, but it's kind of like having dessert for dinner every night. Like after a while, you just kind of get sick of doing good. Like I want to do something harder. So that's what I did. I stuck a yeah. optics gun in her hand and she shot that for, well, from that one point forward, she did a little stint in production when she got sick of dots breaking on her, but she's a pretty well dedicated carry optic shooter now. Cool. Okay, so we're going to move along to some more questions. These may be a little bit more rapid fire. Um, you can answer them as much as you want um, or just with a simple simple uh, few words. Did uh, shooting one-handed help you? Um, you? I don't know how long you, up until Nationals last year, you practiced shooting one-handed, but did that have any beneficial effects on your game? Yeah, so I, I'd love to have a short answer for that, but I don't. The main, the main effects are obviously you get uh, way better at shooting with one hand, right? Right. Uh, Hwansik was the one who advised me. He said, when I was learning to shoot with one hand, I learned how to get the rhythm down first. And then I worried about the shot placement after. So I started off my training doing as much volume as I could on doubles until as you know, the strength and tenderness of my arms and limbs permitting. Uh, I did as much of that as I could. And then I kind of learned to place the shots in, in reverse. So you get way good at, at the shooting with one hand. No shit. Right. Uh, the interesting part is by shooting with one hand, you don't have the ability to be aggressive about controlling the gun when you're coming into positions. You can't shoot on the move worth of crap. You know, your position entries are slow because you have to wait for all the vibration to come out of your body. Your distance shooting is very slow because the for that same reason, you have to wait till you're completely stable to get shots off accurately. So in general, you spend a lot of time just kind of like standing around looking at your surroundings, like realizing how much stuff you, you're, you're waiting to shoot while your, your body is settling. So I learned a lot about that just kind of through osmosis about shooting on the move and the way I think about stages in general, where previously I think I spent a lot of time thinking, oh, I need to get to that position over there, like from this area over here, this geometric spot of the stage, I'm going to shoot all this shit, as opposed to by being forced to just stand there and look around. I'm thinking a lot more about what stuff I can see from given areas of the shooting area, not thinking about things in terms of like ABC positions. So that revolutionized my thinking about shooting on the move a lot. I worked a lot on shooting on the move the whole previous year just because I realized I was getting dusted by guys that were better at it than me. But I'm doing a hell of a lot more shooting into and out of positions now to the point where I'm kind of struggling in matches where I'm forced to stay flat-footed like I was at this last match that I just didn't shoot so well at. Uh, so you learn a lot just by being forced to like limit yourself and how fast you can shoot like that. And that's definitely one of those things. I mean, I never would have thought my shooting on the move game or my stage planning ability would get better by shooting with one hand. But just like I was saying about shooting a high cap division, right? Because of the fact you don't, you're not looking downward at your gun, your attention isn't as divided. You're able to pay attention and execute on a higher level on, on a lot more different skills that you never would have probably thought about. That's interesting. I wouldn't have thought that. I mean, that's very interesting. I wouldn't have thought that either. But hearing you say it, though, it makes a lot of sense. It essentially, it got you out of your comfort zone and made you work on something that you wouldn't traditionally work on with that level of focus. Yep. No, I, I really, I won't say I'd recommend it to anybody, but if you're ever in a position where you're down a hand, don't hesitate to try it because you will learn something. It just might not be what you're expecting. Hmm. Okay, next question. Are you planning on shooting other divisions or sports like three gun? Yeah, I've, I've shot a little bit of three gun in my past. Like I, like I said a minute ago, I shoot IDPA, which I actually think has a lot more value than people might give it credit for. 
at least if the IDPA scene in your area puts on good matches, you can learn a lot about moving targets, a lot about like shooting discipline because of the way their scoring system works, etc. Uh, your IDPA experience may vary. In the Northeast, it's actually really cool. Uh, three gun, I've done a little bit. Last match I shot was 2019 national. Well, I shot a local match, but I, last major I shot was 2019 multi gun nationals, which I had a, actually a really good time with. I'm just not really any good at shooting a rifle resistance, so I got I got smoked on that. Uh, a lot of the skills that translate to translate to long guns come directly from pistols. So anyone that's halfway good at USPSA is going to pick that up pretty easily. But in general, the USPSA match was one of the more technical US uh, three gun matches there is from my understanding. And even that wasn't really a flavor I'm into. I like the USPSA is very nuanced. You're doing something that has to, you have to have down skill wise on a high level through the entirety of a stage performance, like a 12 second stage. There's probably a Q stack that's 25 items long. And that's just not the case in, in a three gun match. You see a lot of the cases I'm shooting some stuff from over here, from this general large area, I'm going to run over there, shoot some stuff over there. Or, oh, I have a jungle run. I'm just kind of running for five minutes at a time and just shooting stuff as it shows up. Uh, to me, the just pulling on a trigger and like experiencing a loud noise is not the part of shooting that I like. So I, I like the skills test of USPSA, and 3-Gun doesn't really do it for me, in all honesty. Okay. Uh, what takes more work, accuracy or speed? <laughs> Very hard, yeah. Yeah, that, that's pretty That's pretty open. Uh Again, it kind of depends on your demeanor, but uh, shooting, there's no such thing as easy shooting. Mm -hmm. uh, there, you only just kind of expect yourself to perform at a high, higher level when it comes to speed shooting, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so in a sense, anything can be as hard as you make it. And the same is really true when it comes to accuracy. You can tighten up the partials on your practice to the point where it's just impractical for an actual match, or you can just hold yourself to a very high point standard. There's, re there's really no way to answer that question in the context of a USPSA shooter, right? Like the whole yeah. sport is about doing both of those things well at the same time. I think when, again, I, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what they were getting at. And this is some kind of assumptions. And I think uh, earlier on for people, they, they kind of separate the two. And it's like, well, I'm really fast or I'm really accurate. And basically what you're saying is you, you're, there's no way to tell you which one's more important or uh, it, it all dependent on it's dependent on so much. Yep. Each stage is different. You know what I mean? And no, there's a lot to what you just said there, too. What you just hinted at. Uh, everyone has kind of a predetermined pace where they want to go comfortably before they engage in a lot of training or even after they do. Right. Just kind of what's comfortable to them. And that the answer to that question is pretty much going to lie in the details of that for you. Like if you're the kind of person where putting up a 10 second El Prez is like challenging for you, then yeah doing things quickly is going to be hard. If you're the kind of guy where putting up a four second El Prez is no sweat, but keeping them all on Brown is a trick. Then obviously it's a very different answer. Yeah. The next two questions I think are rapid fire. And I think they're the most important questions we will ask you tonight. So, um, we'll start off with what bullet weight do you use? <laughs> and boom goes the dynamite. Uh, <laughs> This year, I've shot all 147s, so I have a professional relationship with Sig Sauer through which uh, I get some ammo uh, that I shoot matches with. That's really nice. Their match lead ammunition is super accurate, shoots nice, loaded with 147s. Uh, so all the training ammo that I load to be able to practice with has been 147s just for the, the simplicity of shooting something that's the same weight and same approximate feel. Uh, I just ordered for next year, I want to try out something a little different. 
because of the fact the 147s I'm shooting, I have loaded to like 140 power factor because I actually like a little bit more snap than you might find in a really nice, nicely loaded round with 147 that's scraping the factor floor. So I just ordered some other stuff that's lighter than that, and I'm interested to try that. I think a lot of people read into this a lot, and for the most part, it doesn't matter. Me personally, I like something that has a little bit more snap to it that kind of reminds you when to transition the gun, reminds you to grip on it a little bit more. Mm. But it depends entirely on what you like. If you try something and you like it, you should probably stick with it. I can tell you my loading formula is based entirely on what I can get away with loading using tight group because I don't want to have to source different powders. So that's about as granular as I get with that crap. And that really should be the end of the the the, the answer. I mean, that's, or that's the main point is just whatever you've got in there, whatever powder you happen to buy and whatever bullets you bought, just stick with it. Don't try to chase something. It's not going to matter. Yep. So I'm not even going to ask you because I, I, we, that was more of a joke and <laughs> I don't want to waste any more of your time with the spring question, but because uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter either. So we, we try to ask those as jokes, but yeah, we're not going to go there. So what were you, what do you got, Jared? Uh, one last question. And I think a lot of people are always curious, uh, roughly how many rounds do you shoot a year? It That's varied a lot year by year for me, just due to the different levels of support I've had from various companies. So coming up, when I was learning to shoot on my route kind of two Grandmaster in the first three to four years, uh, I shot give or take 4,000 rounds a month. So that's obviously a lot. Uh, after that, after about year three, maybe four, I honestly can't remember anymore, I got limited to more like 1,000 rounds a month, and I was shooting a little bit more than that, you know, based on however I could source ammo. And now I think uh, me and my girlfriend ordered 50,000 bullets in, on Black Friday, and we still haven't gone through all of them. So that's exclu- that's for training and most matches. So right now I'm hovering at around 25,000 rounds a year, give or take. I think a lot of people think they have to shoot like 50 or 100,000 rounds a year to get good. Yep. And I think a lot of people shoot substantially less than that. Oh, yeah. So I can tell you some of my students that I have the most problems and the most frustrations with are ones that are the least limited in their access to resources when it comes to ammo. And I can tell you the years that I've learned the least proportional to the amount of work I put in were the more high volume years. You learn a lot by being forced to do more with less. Usually uh, applying yourself to shooting in an intellectual way and teaching, approaching shooting as an area of study is a lot more valuable than just kind of teaching it like you're doing, approaching it like you're doing push-ups. Like I said, you can only get so strong at doing push-ups. You can learn a lot by kind of studying what goes into push-ups. Listeners, if you have any questions and you'd like to, or you'd like to get a hold of Mason for training or uh, anything, you can email him or what'd you say? Go to the webpage, but it's probably better to maybe hit you up on Instagram. Yep. So if you follow me online and stuff, both of my my Instagram and Facebook are I'm available at Mason Lane Shooting. If you just kind of search me up. Uh, I have a website that doesn't do anything. If you follow me on social media, I will make it very clear when my website starts actually being functional. So the best thing to do for now, if you want to get a hold of me for training or something like that, is to email me at masonlane.lsat at gmail.com. All right. Mason, thanks again. Really appreciate it. Really enjoyed listening to your your take on everything. Really appreciate you taking the time out. Come on, man. Cool, Uh, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, man. Good luck at Nationals, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. See you, man. See you down there.